So yeah, page 1156, it's 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20 to 23, and then 35 to 58. Give you a minute to find that. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who came have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ, the first fruits, then, when he comes, those who belong to him. In the 35. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what body will they come? How foolish! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body, as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives it his own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds have another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and star differs from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven, as was the earthly man. So are those who are of the, so are those who are of the earth, and is the man from heaven, so also are those who are from heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. I declare to you, brothers, that the flesh of the blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the, imper- nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, in, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable will clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sting is the law. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give, your, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Josh, uh, good evening. My name is Alex, Alex Hurdle. Uh, it's lovely to be with you this evening. I'd like to add my warm welcome to Leon's uh, earlier on. Um, and 
What a passage, right? Uh, I said this morning, it's the sort of passage that uh, sort of makes you want to take up cross-stitch just so you can put it on your wall, um, isn't it? Um, so many verses, so many verses that are awesome. Um, but yeah, we're looking at the second half of 1 Corinthians. Um, why don't I pray before we get going? Heavenly Father, thank you that we can gather this evening around your words. And we thank you that your word is a speaking word today. By your spirit, help us to hear you. Help us to love you all the more for what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Death is horrible, isn't it? I know, I know that that's hardly an original observation, I know it's not even the first time we've said it from the front here at St. Mary's in recent weeks, but death really is horrible. And I appreciate this is not a cheery way to start a sermon. Um, It won't be a fun time. But we're going to spend some time thinking about death because it will help us to see just how precious these verses in 1 Corinthians 15 really are. Think of it this way. Have you ever been to a jeweler's? Um, How do they get the diamonds to look their best? They put them on a black velvet background, don't they? That's how they can best get the light to bring out that diamond's inner brilliance. Uh, That's what we're going to try and do this evening. Um, So the next few minutes, I'm afraid they, they won't be pleasant. But it's the black velvet background to set the stage for the diamond. Death is horrible. It's like a thick, dark cloud that hovers above us. It doesn't really matter what form it takes. I wonder what you think of when you think, hear the word death. For me, I think of the boy that was in my school year. At 11 years old, a brick wall collapsed on him. He was crushed, killed. I think of my friend's dad, who had skin scratched thin over his face as he was struggling to breathe in the last weeks of his life, dying of cancer. The clinical bleeps of the machines, the rasps of his breath. I think of the news when you see the bodies butchered in Buka. Death is horrible. And the event of death, that in itself, that's horrible. But that cloud, it also spreads. It has ripples that go outwards and sort of cast their shadow over the rest of life, too. We're going to do something that's a little bit different from what we normally do at St. Mary's. Um, I'm going to tell you a story to try and help you show you what I mean. And I'm sorry to say that it's a story I've only partially made up. And I'm so sorry that for many of us in this room, this story will resonate too well. Della had a good life. She was married to Henry. They were parents to three-year-old Fiona. And wonderfully, after months of trying, Della became pregnant again. She went with Henry for the 12-week scan. And this time, they're expecting a little baby boy. They're excited. It feels like their family is right on the cusp of just being whole, complete. 
So they get excited. They tell their friends. They tell their family. Except tragically, at 19 weeks, it all goes wrong. Della has a miscarriage. She's devastated. Obviously, there's the physical trauma. She can't quite tell whether she prefers the weeks where she's overcome with emotion or whether she prefers the times when she just is totally numb and detached. Della blames herself. She's overcome with grief and shame. She feels awful that she seems to have failed, that her body seems inadequate in some way. Surely she's a bad mother. Henry tries to help, um, but he's dealing with the grief himself. And besides, it feels like Della, although it's obvious she's isolated, she seems like she only pushes others away these days. Della doesn't even really know what she might want from others. But she knows her mum could be doing more. She can't quite put her finger on what she expects or wants, but something's lacking, and it's hurtful. But death's not done. As time goes on, although the initial pain, that fades, death still has a grip. It still casts its shadow over life. Eventually, Della becomes pregnant again. Another boy. It should have been a moment of pure joy. But Della remembers, and Della feels guilty. She finds it hardest on particular dates. Uh, the next scan is four days after that unborn baby's first birthday should have been. When Max, the new baby boy, is born, Della is understandably so precious over him. But Fiona, her daughter, she picks up on this. She can tell mum's got a new favourite. And so she resents Max. There's a rift right from the off that will go through their entire lives. Della's mum, she tries to lend an extra special hand this time round. Um, but it comes across as interfering, getting in the way, rubbing salt into the wound that's already there in that strained relationship. That's all from one little life that was snuffed out, that nobody even knew. That thick, dark cloud of death hangs very heavy, doesn't it? Death is horrible. And I think one of the most compelling things about Christianity, for me, is that it doesn't shy away from this reality. God agrees that death is horrible. It is not as things should be. The Bible tells the story of how death is an unwanted intruder in this world. We see it in the section of 1 Corinthians that Josh read out for us just now. Paul alludes to Genesis chapter 3, um, the story that happened with Adam. Have a look back at verse 21 with me. Do you see how it starts? Death came through a man. Here, Paul reminds us it was Adam who brought death into the world. He and his wife Eve, our first parents, they set the pattern for all their offspring. We're all chips off the old block. 
We're all destined for the grave. We're all living under that cloud of death. We too have frail and perishing bodies. Youth doesn't last. The body decays. Um, But the irony is the mind still goes on. Uh, It develops the longing for the good old days. Um, You probably get what I mean. We've probably all seen those older blokes on the sidelines at Saturday football matches. You can tell they're just itching to have had the chance to get out there again one last time. But they can't. I remember my granddad. He uh, once uh, forgot himself, and he, he jumped into the swimming pool with the rest of us while he was in his 80s. And just that, that was enough to rupture his Achilles tendon. You might be sitting here, and I'm conscious we're a generally young congregation in the evening, and not realize this, the brutal reality of this truth. But just look around. Your body might be fine, but just look at someone who's older than you. Spot the sagging and the bagging and the graying and the balding. It is funny, but it's a sad reality, isn't it? We are all by nature what Paul calls in verse 22 as in Adam. We're all destined to die. A few years ago, in 2018, I uh, travelled to Heathrow to take a flight there to go on holiday, if you can remember such a thing. Um, when I arrived, it was one of those days. It was drizzly. It was cold. It was grey. Super British. But when I boarded that plane and we took off, do you know what happened? I hadn't really thought about it before, um, probably just because I'm too thick to uh, sort of have it come into my head. But when we took off, the plane went up and burst through that cloud. Do you know what we burst into? Not more cloud. Glorious sunshine. For Paul, that's a little bit like what happened when Jesus was raised from the grave. Look back at verse 21 again with me. Since death came through a man, so this age of death that we're in, it started with Adam. Since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. The resurrection age, as we saw last week, it starts through a man, the risen Lord Jesus. And just like how we naturally resemble Adam, we're in him. If you're a Christian, you're today... You are in Christ. Verse 22, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Jesus has burst through that cloud of death. If I'm in him, I too will be raised. That's why he's called the first fruits. He's the first of many who will walk in his footsteps. Now, it's, it's natural to have all sorts of questions about this. Paul expects the Corinthians to have them, and uh, he preempts a couple of them uh, down in verse 35. Have a look at them again with me. Paul writes, But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? These are the sorts of questions we might well be asking this evening. Um, maybe you like the sound of this being in Christ rather than being in Adam. 
Um, but you can't fathom the, the practicalities of life in a new body, um, life that is no longer under this cloud of death. It might be that you think that this whole idea of the resurrection is it, frankly ridiculous sounding. Um, well, Paul gives us three illustrations to help us understand. Have a look down with me. The first, it comes from the world of horticulture um, in verse 36. Paul even says, don't be foolish um, about this idea of the resurrection. It's not so weird. Um, it's an idea that's bedded into the whole world around us. See what he says. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. Do you see, it's so basic. It's something that even my three-year-old niece knows. You take a seed, you can look at it, it looks a certain way, it has its characteristics, but then you bury it in the soil. The seed dies. But what comes up? What comes up is the plant. Um, it's totally different to the seed, but it couldn't be more alive, could it? Um, it's much better than the seed. We're so familiar with that image. We don't even stop and think about it, do we? Um, have a look at the next uh, picture that Paul gives us in verse 38. Um, sorry, not the next picture. He develops that first picture, verse 38. Um, God gives, us, uh, gives it a body he has determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. God has given you a body this evening. You are unique. Even identical twins, they're not entirely unique, are they? Uh, identical. Um, when you rise, you will be recognizable. You'll be superior, but you'll still be you. The second illustration, it actually comes there in verse 39. Have a look at it with me. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh. Animals have another, birds another, and fish another. Duh, right? <laughs> um, it's not such a strange idea. Uh, not all bodies, is Paul's point, um, are suited to the same purpose. Um, so why do you suppose that the resurrection body um, wouldn't be of a different kind to the bodies we have right now? Blokes, I suspect that you don't hug your wife. Uh, you know, you don't sort of put your arm around the back of their neck and shoulders and expect to feel fish scales, do you? Um, my body is not very well suited for flying. A fish's body is not very well suited to walking around amongst us this evening on dry land. Um, a resurrection body will be different because it's for a different purpose. Look with me again at verse, th uh, at verse 40 for the third illustration Paul gives. See what he says. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is of one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And star differs from star in splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. Again, it's not too hard to grasp, is it? Um, you look at a star and you can admire its splendor, but you don't get it mixed up with the moon and you don't get the moon mixed up with the sun. Um, here Paul uses that word splendor. It literally, he means glory. Um, it's a word that's used for the divine presence, for God himself. In other words, we will be given the kinds of bodies that are ready for the new creation. 
Well, if we had our two questions in verse 35, and then Paul's three illustrations in verses 36 to 41, now he moves us to his explanations in verses 42 to 57. So we've got the concepts, but now we get the so what's. Why is this all such a big deal? Well, the body now is perishable, but the resurrection body will be imperishable. There's no more death, no more aging, no more of that sagging and bagging and graying and balding or aching that we talked about. If the body now is dishonorable, God is going to raise us in glory. Do you get that? God is going to glorify us. That's hard to imagine, isn't it? It almost seems scandalous. Uh, Haven't we got it the wrong way around? Don't we try and glorify God? Um, I think we often gravitate towards other promises for the new creation, like uh, seeing God face to face, having him wipe our tears, all good, marvelous things. But in our resurrection bodies, God will glorify us. Our bodies now are weak. They tire. They fail us. They're susceptible to illness and to sin. But they will be raised as powerful resurrection bodies. Our bodies now are natural, but they'll be raised as spiritual. Now, when Paul says that in verse 44, he's not denying that we'll have bodies. He's not uh, counteracting what he's already said. Um, he's not saying that we're going to be souls sort of just floating around in the ether. No, what he's really saying is that our bodies now, they're of earthly quality, but our bodies then, they'll be heavenly quality. As an aside, I'd be very careful of anyone that tells you or overemphasizes a healing ministry Because there are some schools of thought, there are some Christians who will tell you that actually in this lifetime, if if you have enough faith, you shouldn't have any aches or pains, no illnesses. Run away from someone like that. It's not what the Bible says. It's denying the mortality of our bodies now, and it undermines the promise of our heavenly bodies to come. But why does Paul think that our resurrection body will look like this specifically. Well, have a look down at verse 47 with me. See what he says. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so will we bear the image of the heavenly man. Paul encourages us that we can look to Christ as the pattern. He's the first fruits, after all. He's the first of many to come. We will rise in the same way as him. We will bear the image of Jesus, the heavenly man. The gospel promise is not just that we'll be with him, but that we'll be like him. Paul can say that as someone who has met the risen Lord Jesus. And so think of the resurrection accounts of Jesus when we see them in the Gospels. Do you remember? He was recognizable, but not. Uh, Remember Mary thinking that she was speaking to the gardener, or the disciples on the road to Emmaus. 
They saw Jesus, but he was different enough that they couldn't recognize him at first. He had his wounds, yet he was victorious and loving all at the same time. And think too, think too of that amazing image of the risen Jesus from the first chapter of Revelation. Let me read it out to you. There was someone, like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I, John, saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And look, now I am alive forever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Behold your risen king. Behold the one who has burst through that cloud of death. Behold the one whose image you will one day fully bear if you trust in him. It will happen because we've seen the risen Christ. It must happen because we're in the resurrection age. See how Paul puts it in verse 50. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Do you see um, the new creation? It's coming soon. And Jesus says, you're not coming in like that. We need bodies which are suitable for the new heaven and the new earth. Bodies like that of the risen Lord Jesus. And it will happen for all Christians. We know that our dead brothers and sisters, they are better off than us. They're with the Lord Jesus now in paradise today. But that's not ultimate. This resurrection life in resurrection bodies, that is what God has in store for us. And it might happen before all of us in this room have died. It will certainly happen before all Christians have died. It'll happen in the twinkling of an eye, in a flash, at the sound of the trumpet, like the trumpet on the Day of Atonement in the year of Jubilee, to show that we have friendship and fellowship with God, to show that he is our gods, and we are his people. The resurrection, though, is not primarily about me and my body and me living forever. That stuff it is significant and it is important, but Christ's resurrection, it's mainly to do with the start of the resurrection age that we were thinking about last week, that we can be confident that God is going to set everything right on the last day. That day of perfect judgment, it is coming. That's what we see in verses 54 and 55. Have a look at it with me, what verses these are. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. 
death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The world is going to be set to rights. And death, rather than being that cloud that hangs over us, will be swallowed up. Jesus completes his victory over death. And he shares that victory with us. If you're not a Christian here this evening, do you realize that you're in Adam? If I were to ask you who rides roughshod over your life, who would you say? Maybe, you know, the state of the world, you'd you'd turn to the world of politics. Let me tell you this. Neither Boris Johnson nor Keir Starmer will bring you to your knees. Eventually, we'll vote both of them out. We'll barely remember their names. But death, death really does torment our lives. Try voting death out. If you don't believe that this is where you're heading, go and read the headstones outside. Ask the person sitting next to you if they can name all of their great-grandparents. Can they do it? That's where you're heading. You might say, that's fine. I believe that when you die, um, you're just annihilated. There's nothing. Well, friends, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. We are in the resurrection age. Read verse 56 with me. And do it carefully, because I think that we easily read something other than what Paul has actually said. So have a look at what he actually wrote with me. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. I don't think that's what we expect. We expect Paul to say, the sting of sin is death. We thought about Adam already, haven't we? Uh, Didn't he sin, which led to death? That's probably what we think Paul meant to say. But no, read it again. In death, we find the punishment for sin. But the punishment for sin is not consumed by death. Death will mean that I face the judgment of a holy God for my sin. And the law, the Bible, the scriptures, they tell me what that is to be like. But as a Christian, wonderfully, mercifully, I don't need to worry about facing God's judgment. Well, no, I don't need to worry about facing his wrath on the day of judgment. I will be judged, but I'll be judged in Christ, transformed to be like Christ, to get the verdict that he has earned on my behalf. In my family, I have the, let's face it, fairly uh, well-warranted reputation of being a massive wuss when it comes to wasps. Um, I'm a bit better than when I was younger, but I'm still not great. Um, But imagine a stingless wasp. You wouldn't care if they buzzed around you at your picnic table, would you? You'd just bat it away. It'd be such a minor nuisance. That is what death is now like for us, brothers and sisters, if you trust in Christ. I think that in this chapter, God wants us to realize the times we're living in. He wants us to be future-facing. He wants us to imagine what we will one day be like. Oh, if only we could see what we'll be. If 
only we could see. Just imagine. Just imagine a body where you have the captivating energy and vivacity that little children have, that tireless energy. But it's mingled with the strength and beauty of adulthood. But not only that, ponder this. You'll also have the wisdom and the dignity of character that only comes with age. Ponder a body with no more weaknesses and no more pain. Not just the pains that we know about, but the ones that we're so used to that when they're finally taken away, we'll realize. A bit like if if you're wearing a heavy rucksack for a long time. You take it off and you don't realize just how weighed down you were. You feel like you could float. Just imagine. But it's not all grin and bear it now with the promise of a better tomorrow. Where we're heading transforms our now. Read verse 58 with me. Here are two things that Paul wants in the now for the Corinthians and for us. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The first thing, Paul gives us both the positive and the negative of the same idea. Stand firm, positive. Let nothing move you, negative. Keep holding to the true gospel of the risen Christ, the things of first importance. Stand firm, knowing that right now we're living at the start of the resurrection age because Christ himself has been raised. The second thing that Paul tells us is that our lives now, they're not empty. They aren't lived in vain as Christians. They will have lasting impact. We're to give ourselves fully to God's work. We're to be abounding in his work, overflowing in his work, more than enough of it. Right now, we're in Christ And so we're meant to walk like him. For Christ, we've seen his work, and we're going to be reminded of it eternally. He still bears his wounds. In Revelation, he's, he's called the lamb who was slain. For us, though, what does the Lord's work look like? What has that lasting, eternal worth? How about evangelism? Telling others the good news of Jesus that he's risen, that if they come to him, they needn't fear judgment, that if they come to him, they too will one day be transformed. Or how about discipleship? Uh, You know, that idea of having a concern for your brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, to grow in Christlikeness, a desire to see other Christians presented holy and blameless and spotless before their maker and judge. There's two things, just right off the bat. However, if if we left it there, I think we could leave feeling that um, basically, unless I'm Rob Phillips, who can't wear a dog collar, um, then nothing I do is of value. I'm not trying to say that evangelism and disciple, they only sit with people who are ordained. Um, It's it's something that we're all called to. Um, But what about the rest of life, the rest of your day-to-day? Well, our bodies continue. 
They won't be done away with. They'll be transformed. So it matters what I do with it. Living a holy life, one that's pleasing to God's, a life that's in step with his spirit, who lives inside me with my body as his temple. And so holiness, being set apart, uh, that's the work of the Lord, no? In the way I live out my sexuality, my sense of justice, my heart for other people, the integrity with which I do my work and the love with which I treat my colleagues, I can live in a way that genuinely pleases God today and in a way that will carry on to be honored for eternity. Christ, the heavenly man, he is the pattern of the resurrection life. If only we could see what we will be. If only we could see his triumph over death, which for now hangs over us like a cloud. Stand firm in these truths. Give yourself fully to the Lord's work, because it's not in vain. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that these things are not hidden from us. You have revealed mysteries which for ages were hidden from us. Thank you that you have raised the Lord Jesus from the grave. Thank you that we're living in the resurrection age. Thank you that we too one day will be raised like him with new resurrection bodies. Father, we pray that you'd help us to live in light of these things. Help us to live in light that you are setting the world to rights. The new creation is coming. Help it to transform the way that we live now and empower us by your spirit to give ourselves fully to your work, we pray. Amen. Alex, come and join me up at the front. Uh, we've got a chance to answer your questions. Thank you for seeing them all in. There's a lot to get through, so we might not get to all of them, but we'll do our best. Um, great. You ready? Yeah, yeah. Let's go for it. They're great questions. Thank you so much. Really challenging, so we'll mm. do our best. Uh, question at the very top. Uh, teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom from Psalm 90. The Bible says a wise man thinks about his death often. Uh, and the fool ignores it. So should we talk about death often? I don't think we necessarily need to talk about it. I'm conscious that tonight we've talked about it more than most nights. Um, I do think that probably compared to those in Paul's day that he was writing to, we live very sanitized lives. Death is not around us day by day. Uh, so maybe we do. Maybe we do need to talk about it more. I think more importantly, um, I mean, the point of the psalm is know that you're not God. Know that you're in a body that's going to die, right? Um, and the point of 1 Corinthians 15 that we've been looking at is know that that's not the end. Know that if you're in Christ, you will be raised. Yeah, that's really helpful. It's a very uncomfortable, I think, uncomfortable topic to talk about, but it's one mm. that's... You're right, you were saying earlier that the Bible doesn't shy away from it, yeah. does it? 
and it, it's it's still there and it's prevalent. So yeah, absolutely. It's what I talk about. I think. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we could do it in a way that's weird. Like I don't know if you've ever seen the Victorians were like massively obsessed with death. They had weird family photos with their relatives in coffins and open. It's a bit weird. Um, don't do that. But so <laughs> <laughs> um, far. Yeah. 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 Right, next question then. Mm. Um, how would we know that people are in heaven now rather than uh, the other side of the day of judgment? Mm. Um, I think a few things. I think that the Bible consistently, and Jesus consistently in the Gospels, talks about a day of judgment. Um, but uh, we were chatting about it just outside. There are a couple of uh, sort of passages that spring immediately to mind, probably the most wonderful of which is to the thief on the cross next to Jesus who recognizes that he needs forgiveness. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Isn't that marvelous? Um, But uh, in the book of Revelation, you can go to chapter 6, you can see that there are Christians in heaven before the throne of God. And that is by far and away better than anything we're going to do for the rest of today. Um, But they're crying out. They're crying out, oh, how long, God? How long until you're going to set the world to rights? How long until the new creation? Um, so yeah, we know they're there, but it won't be forever. Yeah, brilliant. That's really helpful. Great. Uh, another really good one coming up. So uh, sorry if it's dark, but why is being alive in this fallen world better than being dead uh, with Christ now? Sometimes I envy Christians who have already died. Uh, can you help me see why this is wrong? I don't think you are wrong. Like Paul himself says that. Um, that it would be better for him to depart when he's nearing his death. He's like, oh, it would be better to be with the Lord Jesus in paradise before the throne of God. It's like, I want to be there. But um, I think to just say, oh, right, in that case, then what's the point in being alive, is to miss that part of what Jesus was achieving on the cross was to free us for lives that can live righteously. Um, Was it 1 Peter 2? I feel maybe 1 Peter 2, 23, maybe, maybe. Um, I'll check it later. Uh, It says that Christ died uh, so that we could live for righteousness. Um, So, yeah, what a thing. What a thing to think that the rest of today, the rest of this week coming up, you could do things that will be immortalized for all of eternity because it's righteous deeds that God has prepared for you to do. I think that, that gets me up out of bed in the morning. That's yeah. worth not dying over, right? Yeah, no, definitely. And I think there's, I can't remember where it is, but there's something in Ecclesiastes as well that says that, that it is better to be alive than dead and that there are benefits of being physically alive. Um, mm. Like your memory is still here, you still have an impact on the world um, in the way that you live for Christ and uh, honour God by living in a, a fearful and reverent way. But um, mm. there is still stuff to gain from being dead as well because you, yeah. like you say, you're... You're with Christ. Mm. I think the quote in Philippians is, to live is Christ and to die is gain, if that's helpful. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. So. And, and, you know, you're like, he's, he's, there's all sorts of Bible pictures that you could go to. Like that, that amazing picture in Hebrews 11 of like the race course and you're being cheered on by those that have done the race. Mm. That loses some of its power if they've just gone, mm. what's the point in living for God? Mm. But they finished it. Isn't that amazing? One day we could join that cheering crowd, right? Definitely. Awesome. Looking yeah. forward to that. Mm. Great. Uh, another one. Uh, we'll see what you say on this. I have no idea how to answer this, so mm-hmm. I'm trusting you. Uh, does God heal today? Mm. Um, I want to caveat before I say anything definitive in that people have different opinions on this. 
um, come and chat to me afterwards uh, if you hate what I say or what I, if you love what I'm about to say. Um, and Rob might give me a slap on the wrist if he disagrees. <laughs> I don't know. We've never talked about it. Um, I believe that yes, he does. Uh, I don't believe that we, uh, he guarantees it. I don't believe that uh, he will always do it this side of the new creation. But he has promised that he will do in that moment, in that flash, in the twinkling of an eye. Yeah, that's really helpful. And it's good to not limit God in our own understanding, is it? Because if he's the creator of the universe, he can do whatever he likes, and mm. he's more than capable of healing. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Brilliant. One last question. As many as you want, Leon. Great. We'll do one last then. Um, I think the one underneath is similar to what we've already answered, so I'll, go, I'll jump down to the next one. Uh, can we explain the gospel without mentioning death and judgment? People don't like to think about those things, so can we um, explain the gospel clearly? I think it's a good question. I'm not sure that we can. However, there's a way that you could do it that is totally obnoxious, right? There's a way that would be like... I mean, I've not seen any in Basingstoke, but I've not been in town enough. But I used to live in Plymouth, and every now and again you'd walk through the city centre and you'd see someone with a sign saying, you're going to hell, you're going to burn forever. I don't think that is a constructive way to start telling someone the good news about Jesus. Um, I mean, this is purely anecdotal. I'm not saying it's the way. I find that often um, a, a way in is to sort of talk about how rubbish the world is out there. And wouldn't it be great if God would set that to rights mm. if he's out there? And, oh, wow, Jesus came and he said that he really is going to set the world to rights. Yeah. And, but actually, if he's setting the whole world to rights, that includes what's in here as well as out there. I think that's, you know, that's, I mean, that's not brilliant or perfect by any stretch, but maybe that's how I'd start. Mm. Yeah, that's really helpful. That's really helpful, yeah. 